Today I am going to read um, Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in St. Friai. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary who worked very hard for you. Greet Hendrinicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatis, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Abanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the house of old Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the house of old Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and to all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to, contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Theasius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Guys, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sent you their greetings. Now to him 
who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Dennis, for reading a long passage with many complicated names so well. Well, back uh, on the 28th of April 2018, I actually preached the very first sermon in this series. Uh, can anyone remember 2018 at all? Forget the, forget the 29th of April. Before COVID, BC. Uh, it was a different world. In fact, this service didn't exist. Uh, no one at St Jude's was actually meeting on this site. It was still a building site. Uh, our 10am congregation was meeting at a school uh, over in North Melbourne. Uni Church was meeting in the hall and then going off to the pub and meeting there for a while. A lot has changed over the past, and it's almost four and a half years to the day where we finish finally chapter 16 of Romans. And Paul, as we heard, finishes this amazing letter with a long list of people. About 35 names are listed. And I wonder what you were thinking as Dennis so wonderfully read the passage. Maybe you were thinking, firstly, well, thankful I'm not the one doing the reading today. (laughs) Well done, Dennis. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's an interesting list, right? But what do we do with it? Maybe if you're about to have a baby, there's kind of some options available to you now that perhaps you weren't aware of previously. Some new names to consider. Uh, And a member of our congregation in the morning who has a Greek heritage said, oh, yeah, you mentioned half my family names. But if you're not from a Greek background, you might think, hang on a second, these are slightly different. I mean, Narcissus isn't really that common a name. Maybe we should bring it back. So what do we do with this list of names? And the answer is there is actually so much we can learn as a church about the way Paul finishes this great letter in chapter 16. It's a real practical insight into Paul's ministry and to the life of the church in Rome. Or should I say churches? We see often they're meeting in households. And I want to say I haven't got seven things. That would have been fantastic if I'd had seven things. And maybe they're not as exciting, but here we go. Here are five things I think we can learn about church from this final chapter. One is, uh, church is not something you go to, but something you belong to. Number one, you don't go to church, you belong to church. Secondly, church is for people who are not like you. Church is for people who are not like you. Thirdly, church is not for consumers, but for servants. Not for consumers, but servants. Fourthly, I'll do that way because my fingers don't work, uh, the church is a place where God's word is faithfully taught. The church is where God's word is faithfully taught. And fifthly, the church is where Christ is proclaimed and glorified. The church is where Christ's name is uh, proclaimed and glorified. So we're going to quickly go through each of those five points. Firstly, Uh, We are reminded here that the church is not something you just go to, it's actually something you belong to. So the vicar is telling you, don't go to church. It's my first take-home message. Don't go to church. You are the church. You are the church. Back in Romans 12, this is the kind of big thing that Paul has been working at. We are 
the body of Christ, he says. Each of us are different limbs and parts and you don't leave them spread out. No, they make one body. Christianity is a team sport. And in verse 16, we actually, sorry, in chapter 16, we see this in action. One body, many parts. 35 people mentioned by name and many others referred to. In other words, they're real people with names. It's not just theoretical for Paul. No, no, the church is full of people. He knows by name. By the way, remember, Paul has yet to get to Rome, but he already knows about 26 people by name. That's extraordinary, right? 26 people he can say, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. And those names tell us a bit about the makeup of the church, the way it fits together socially in Rome. And they also help us understand something quite profound about what it is to be a Christian. Because there's a kind of very simple definition of being a Christian, which is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the answer is, well, yes, that is a definition of Christianity, but it's an inadequate definition. First of all, it's actually not just Jesus, because God is Father, Son and Spirit. And secondly, it's not just you. When you become a Christian, you join God's family. You join his people. And we see that language of family and closeness all the way through Paul's greetings. He constantly refers to people as brothers and sisters. He refers to Ampelius in verse 8 as a dear friend in the Lord. In verse 13 he says, greet Rufus chosen chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me also. He's a grown man. This is, this is a real sense of someone, a woman, an old woman with respect who's cared for him as a mother does. See, we are a church. It's not something that we go to. And it reminds us that we are actually created for community. Like in the Garden of Eden, the only thing that is not good is that Adam is alone. And when we join and become a Christian, we don't just do it by ourselves. We do it to join the community of God's people. And I think that's incredibly good news for our culture. We live in probably, no, absolutely, the most technologically connected uh, age in history. On my phone, I sent and counted 14 different apps by which I can connect with people on my phone. And that includes this thing where you can actually talk to people on it. It's, it's amazing. It's just, you hear their voices. Uh, I'm on the WhatsApp the and then the InstaFace, all over that stuff, right? Um, we have all these ways of connecting, yet ironically we are the most lonely generation in history. The rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. A recent study uh, in around 20, I think it was 18 or 17, found that at least 40% of adults report feeling lonely. And more recent studies show that post-COVID that has gone through the roof If 40% wasn't high enough, I think it's up around 50 or 60% now. Feel lonely regularly. But we are created for community. And what that means is if if you feel lonely, it's not because you're dysfunctional, it's actually because you're healthy. Not that loneliness is good, no, loneliness is not good, but it speaks to the fact that you are created for community. The need for deep spiritual relationships are actually a sign of spiritual maturity. 
It's not a sign of weakness if you feel lonely. It's actually, ironically, a sign of health. It's a sign that you're, you're built right, that you long to be in connection. And therefore, can you see the, the beauty and attraction of church is that it gives you a community that you belong to. In fact, more than that, a family that you belong to. And the thing about families is it's very hard to leave a family. You're stuck with them. So look around, 4pm, have a look around. You know, Awkwardly glance sideways. Um, you're stuck with these people. <laughs> you might say, great. You might say, that's a bit of a worry. No, no, I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. That's the family of God. That's why the Christian church, from the very beginning, has used very pro- provocative language on one level to say we call each other brother and sister. In fact, the, uh, as the early church started using that language, people thought that Christians practiced incest because we talked about loving our brothers and sisters. And so in a culture where loneliness is now epidemic, can you see how one of the best things that we can do is to be the church? To live out that, that call to be the family of God, to be a place of radical inclusion and love, to be a place where you don't just come, but where you belong, where you have brothers and sisters. That's the first point. The church is not something you go to, it's something you belong to. Secondly, Paul reminds us in chapter 16 that church is actually for people who are nothing like you. Yes, there are people like you, but there are also people unlike you. In other words, the church is a really profoundly diverse thing. Uh, We've kind of forgotten how radical diversity is because it's become a cultural value, right? If If you're for diversity, that's a good thing. That's actually massively influenced by the Christian church and the gospel. Uh, one of the things you note if, you kind of, if you're a scholar of names, which not many of us are, uh, is there's actually an incredible diversity in the background of the people mentioned. You can look at the, the, where their names are from. And we notice we start with a woman called Phoebe uh, in the opening verses. Now, Phoebe is most likely the woman who's been sent to bring the letter from Paul, who's probably in Corinth, uh, to the church in Rome. She's given that great responsibility. And because she's a responsible, uh, wonderful woman, we actually can read these words. Notice too, it says there that she has been a benefactor of many people, including me, says Paul. Uh, the idea there is that she's a patron. It's actually where we get the word of patron from. She's a woman, uh, probably single because her husband's not mentioned and culturally you would usually mention a husband and wife together. We don't know, but probably. Uh, she is wealthy and a woman of, woman of influence and who would probably then represent the interest of others before local communities. So not just kind of rich but also influential culturally. And here she is serving in the church as a deacon, a single woman in a patriarchal society. We also have a diversity of both Jewish and Gentile names showing that there is this real mix. And in the first century, Jews and Gentiles didn't traditionally hang out together very much. Uh, Some of them have just Jewish names, like Mary, which was traditionally a Jewish name, but others are mentioned explicitly as having a Jewish background. For example, Andronicus and Junia, where Paul says in verse 7, they are my fellow Jews. So we have Jews and Gentiles in this church. There are different classes. Many of the names we have are referred to as slave or ex-slave names, people of the lowest caste in society, but others have high-standing names. 
There's a diversity of gender. Eight to nine women are mentioned by name. I say eight to nine because junior, we're not entirely sure whether that's a male or a female name. It can be either. Context suggests it's probably a woman. And once again, this is a very patriarchal society, but women here are elevated to the same position as men. And notice five of them are commended for their labour in the Lord. Not just making up the numbers, they're, they're doing the work of the gospel with Paul. They are single, they are married, they are Jew, they are Gentile, they are slave, they are free. It's almost as if Paul has mentioned this before in another letter. All one in Christ. And then we have that uh, interesting verse in verse 16, that little phrase, greet one another with a holy kiss, which I notice we never do, right? Why don't we do that? Well, probably for a few reasons. Uh, firstly, we need to understand the holy kiss is not a romantic kiss. Sorry to just, you know, when you're 16, this is the kind of verse you go to and you need to greet that girl. No, no, it's not romantic. Be very clear about that. Uh, it's a sign of friendship. Uh, and particularly in the culture, it's a kiss on the cheek. Uh, it's a sign that you are of equal status. So when you are greeting each other with a, a, a holy kiss, what Paul is saying is, you come from all these different backgrounds, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, yet you all greet each other as peers. That is revolutionary. Slaves would kiss the feet of their masters. They wouldn't dare to kiss the cheek. That says equality. Can you see how radical that is? We kind of got used to it, but it's, it's a radical truth about the church. It's full of people who are not like you, and that's a good thing. Now, one of the things you would have noticed if you're new at St. Newtelbini for a while is we have a very colourful internal paint job, right? And uh, it's, what's the word? Uh, there's a differences of opinion on it. That's a polite way of saying, right? I actually really like it. Others have differences uh, of opinion on that. You'll also notice on the outside of the church, we have bricks of lots of different colour. Uh, the fancy word for that is polychromatic, which means many coloured. It's, it's just a way of sounding fancy when it's not really. But what I want to do is when you see those bricks outside or when you see the colours inside, think of that as a spiritual declaration that we are a church of many colours. Different backgrounds, different genders, different languages, different nationalities, different ages, different abilities. One church. Uh, across our church, which is now six, five, six, how many congregations, we keep adding more, which is great, there's about 42 nationalities represented. That's, that's wonderful. We have ages from babies that were born, like this week, right, last couple of days, to uh, people well into their wise years. Is that what we're saying? Elders, elders of the church who, who I do much respect. People with different abilities, different backgrounds, who speak different languages, who come from different, different countries, yet we all gather together and we worship. And none of those things make anyone more or less important. And none of those things give anyone more privilege than anybody else because we all approach God the same way. We boldly approach the throne of God only through the grace of Christ whether you're a 15th generation Australian, whether you're an Indigenous Australian, whether you came to Australia last week, whether you're 102, whether you're two months old, it is faith in Christ that is the great equaliser. Which means there can be no room for discrimination or hatred, which seems obvious, but also for cliques, 
right? Well, you just hang out with people like you. We need to work hard at showing and living out that diversity because that is what Christ's church is. It is for people like, who are not like you. Thirdly, Paul reminds us that church is not for consumers but servers. Now, Paul greets all these people in verse uh, chapter 16 uh, and it's not just because he knows them but because they are fellow workers in, in proclaiming and teaching the gospel. They are co-workers. Listen to some of just just a handful. Uh, verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, most likely a married couple, my co-workers in Christ, Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Now, I'm not sure about who's doing pizza tonight or you know, who set up the chest. That's a, our parish council. None of these things are risking your life for Christ, right? Mary, who's worked very hard in verse 6, verse 7, Andronicus and Junia, fellow Jews who've been in prison with me, says Paul. Now that, that's, you know, not to, that's taken to the next level. In prison. That, that's how close they are in serving the, in serving the Lord. Uh, Urbanus, a co-worker for Christ, my dear friend uh, Stachius, verse 12, uh, Trifina and Trifosa. I like to think they're twins. I don't know if they are, but you know how parents of twins often give people the same kind of similar sounding names? Uh, they're two women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Perseus, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And even in verses 21 to 23 where he speaks about those he's writing, kind of sending the greetings from, there's Timothy who's kind of his, his close ministry associate. He's doing a traineeship with St Paul. Right? Just going to give a plug to the St Jude's training program. And there's a, a even a public servant mentioned there as well, Erastus. Even they can serve the Lord, right? No excuse. They are followers of Jesus and not consumers. They are servants. In other words, we come to church not just so that we can be spiritually fed, which, which we should, right? We, we should come and be fed by God's word and encouraged by our brothers and sisters and, and enjoy the singing and, and celebrate communion together. Absolutely. But we also come to serve for the people on our left and our right, for the people in front of us, for the people behind us, even the people on the other side who, you know, never sit on that side, but even them as well. There are a myriad of ways that you can serve. Let me give you a, a kind of big picture of where we need workers. At the moment, there are 40 vacant parishes thereabouts in the Melbourne Diocese, in, just in Melbourne. That is 40 churches where their people do not have a minister who is kind of helping lead and direct and serve them. There is almost a million people moving into Melbourne in the next 10 years in areas where there are very few, if any, churches. How do we respond? How do we see ourselves as servants when there's that need? Now, not everyone's going to go and do that, but we need to think as a church, what are we going to do about that? How are we going to serve? Church ministry, university ministry, chaplaincy, serving in your workplace in the way that you lead, serving with those you study if you're studying. Because the question is not, is God calling you to serve? The question is, how is God calling you to serve? We all have a different role to play, but we all have a role to play because we're not consumers, we're servants. The church is not for consumers. The church is for those who seek to serve God. 
Fourthly, notice that the church is a place where God's word is faithfully taught. In verses 17 to 20, Paul takes a bit of a break from naming people to say, watch out, basically for false teachers who are going to preach uh, a different and wrong gospel. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. That is the gospel that he's outlined for them. The, 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 kind of, the great and wonderful news of the unmerited love of God, the saving power of Jesus' death and resurrection, that we are saved by grace alone, the wonderful assurance for all that we have in God. All these things, he says, Paul, they're not up for grabs. Watch out for them. It's actually a very active word. It's, what, it's kind of where we get the word periscope from. It's where you, you look at, with vigilance to see what's there. And these false teachers are dangerous firstly because they cause division and obstacles. And they do this by undermining the unity of the faith that we have. Because they undermine what Jesus has done. The very thing that keeps us together. But notice too, Paul tells us to watch out not just for what the leaders teach and preach, which is why we want you to have scripture in your hand as as people do that, but also their character. Their character. Because the danger is that if someone is really good at their job, if they're gifted and if they're competent, their failures of character can be overlooked or worse, celebrated as a kind of a means to an end. Verse 18, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. Literally it means their own bellies, their own stomachs. And these false teachers, in a way, what they're saying is they're showing signs of what we would say today is toxic leadership. Not promoting Jesus, but promoting themselves. Seeking to build their own platforms rather than to see God's kingdom grow. And so what we see is great preachers and teachers are continually pointing others to how to serve Jesus, not how to serve their leaders. And so this is my kind of... It's a throwaway line, but you know, I'm always wary when people name ministries after themselves. I'm not saying it's entirely wrong, and it just, you know, but I'm always like, just, just tap, the, tap the brakes. John Forsyth, Miracle Ministries, right? I'd run a mile from that. <laughs> so should you. <laughs> Why? Because it's promoting me, not promoting Christ. Once again, I'm not saying everyone who does that is, but it's, it's just a rule of thumb. Think, think about it. Where is this person pointing you? I think the other challenge is that, uh, which Paul teaches here, false teachers can often seem really nice and competent and caring. Um, And one of the problems is is that we kind of miss that. See, in the movies, you know who the bad guys are because of the music, right? How do you know that Darth Vader is bad? I mean, he wears black, but he could be from Melbourne, right? So that's not going to help us, right? He's just wearing a puffer jacket. That's all it is, right? With a cape. He's a cool guy, right? He's a hipster. No, no, it's because of the music. Dun, 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 dun. Not the, that's not the good guy music, right? That's the bad guy music. Luke Skywalker doesn't get that music, even when he's wearing black. Most false teachers do not come into our church in black robes, horns on their head, and sacrifice a goat during the sermon, right? You know, I going to think, oh, yeah, maybe there's something about that guy that's... No. It's subtle and it's nuanced. And they can be inspirational and they can be charismatic. And the thing is, what they say can be mostly true. Mostly true. 
but it's a bit like saying the rudder on the ship is mostly correct. It's only out by 10%. But when the rudder on your ship is out by 10%, you end up at a thoroughly different destination and you put yourself in danger. And that's why we want you to have God's word open when anyone is preaching. From our newest trainee to Peter Adam, you should have it on your phone or we, we print out the text for you, we have Bibles at the back. We want to say, is this really what God's word is saying? Is, is that person's character reflecting Christ? Because if it's not, we're told to, no, no, don't listen. Watch out. Because the church should be a place where God's word is faithfully taught and where people are pointed to Christ. That's point four. Fifthly, the church is where Christ Jesus is proclaimed and glorified. And here we're looking at, at the very end of the letter where Paul gives this great prayer, this doxology. Uh, which is uh, a fancy way of saying a prayer which gives praise and glory to God. And notice that in this prayer, Paul praises God for three things. Firstly, he starts by praising God for his character. That is, who God is. Verses 25 to 27, we see God's power, his eternal nature and his wisdom, Paul says. These are great and wonderful things. And he writes that his entire ministry actually is focused towards glorifying God. That's the end point. Not glorifying Paul. It's glorifying God. That's what he wants. For who God is. And secondly, from verse 25 onwards, you also notice that he praises God for the gospel, the good news that you can hear. That Christ has come and died and been raised to life again. That we can trust him and have eternal life. It's that great gospel Paul's already outlined in the previous 15 chapters. And thirdly, he prays that that gospel will reach all the nations. That the Gentiles might come to follow Jesus. That's the purpose, that it glorifies God and that the Gentiles, those pagans, they come to follow Jesus. And what's amazing is that prayer is answered in this building today. That prayer is actually answered in this building today. Not all of us, but most of us are Gentiles. Most of us are a long, long way from Rome. In fact, it's almost, I think, not quite, but, you know, on the opposite side of the world. About as far from Paul's letter, kind of historically, but here it is, it's answered. Gentiles gathered with Jews, praising the name of Jesus and preaching the same gospel. That's what we're called to do. Continue that great work. And one of the things I love about St. Jude is we are a church where the nations come here. It's really easy. We don't have to go anywhere. 42 nations each week. There's new people who come. One of the things I shared on convention is we have 70 visitors a week at church across our services. Every week. Now, once again, not everyone's coming to look for a church. People might be visiting from interstate saying hi to family and friends. But what an extraordinary opportunity to share the gospel. We have 19 global mission partners who we send out to do what? To preach the gospel to the nations. It must be what we continually do at our church to glorify and proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that he get all the glory. So let me pray that as we give thanks for finishing this wonderful series in Romans that we will be shaped by it and be a church which seeks to glorify Christ in all things. 
Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing letter which you, through your spirit, inspired Paul to write. A wonderful letter which expounds the glory and the beauty of your gospel. That shows us the wonderful love and grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And using the words of this chapter, we pray to you who is able to establish us as your precious children in accordance with your wonderful gospel, the message proclaimed about your son Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through scripture by the command of you, the eternal God. We ask that all nations might come to the obedience that comes from faith in your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and that to you, the only wise God, be glory forever through Christ Jesus.